Hello, and welcome to another episode of Reframe Your Brain. Starting with episode 11, Danielle Kent and I are doing something different. Each week, we'll be sharing conversations with a variety of people talking about what they're reframing in this challenging and pivotal time of COVID-19. If you want to share a story about something that you're reframing, reach out to us on Instagram at Reframe Your Brain. Go for it. All right. Hi, Anne. Would How you, you doing? mind introducing yourself and telling us a little about a little bit about you? I'm Ann Carter. I have been a special educator for 38 years in the state of Vermont. Um, <clears throat> and went into semi-retirement two years ago. And so I currently I'm an instructional coach for the Washington Central Unified Union School District, <laughs> otherwise known as U32, and have been an instructional coach for two years now. I love that you say semi-retirement. In my mind, I just heard part-time working, but you say semi-retired. I like that difference in perspective. It's, it, is, it truly is a semi-retirement job because I can pull my state retirement pension and work up to 40% for the school district and still not jeopardize that retirement pension. Oh, that's cool. That's really yeah. cool. Yeah. So, so I'm liking it. You're like, that's what matters. So tell, tell us a little bit about what you're reframing, what you're rethinking um, in terms of work or other things. So, the biggest thing that I'm reframing is how I go about instructional coaching. Um, the training that I've had for the last three years in instructional coaching has been a lot through Jim Knight out of Lawrence, Kansas, University of Kansas. And I forgot the acronym that he uses, but it's instructional coaching um, group, ICG. And then and it works around the premise of doing a coaching cycle where you identify student or the teacher works with me to identify student-centered focused goals. Mm -hmm. And then we meet on a regular basis and we use data from the classroom to figure out um, movement towards that goal. Last year, I actually went with, there were four of us from the district that went to international growth coaching that was sponsored by Jim Knight oh, cool. and it included Christian Neuenberg. I mm -hmm. can't remember Christian's last name. Mm -hmm. um, and John Campbell. Christian is out of England, the um, United Kingdom, and John Campbell is actually out of Australia. <clears throat> and they actually talked about growth coaching, mm. which is different in terms of it's not necessarily a cycle it can be a one-shot deal where you talk with the person about a goal that is compelling to them and you frame a lot of the questions and um around the questions actually get at their strengths and they realize that they actually have the potential to make this goal within themselves. Mm -hmm. um, and you work with them in a part, both, both coaching, 
methods are through um, a partnership principle where it's not like I'm the expert and I'm going to give you ideas or I'm going to show you how to do it, but we're going to have a conversation about how to reach that goal and what are some options and um, things that you can do more immediately. Mm -hmm. One of the examples is um, I actually had a Zoom meeting Google Hangout, whatever, mm -hmm. virtual meeting with um, one of the teachers last week. Um, and she ended up deciding that in order to best serve her kids and her families, she wanted to um, learn one new technology piece where she, that she could implement for instruction. And sh through our conversation, she realized that um, she could do this. Mm -hmm. I, I am not the technology expert by far. <laughs> um, you know, when you think about my graduation present as an electric typewriter, because that is the up and coming thing. Um, <clears throat> technology is not my forte. <laughs> but she was realizing that she knew who to tap into. She could do some research herself. She could play around with some ideas um, to sort of use technology to access her students because I think it's 95% of her class is online, um, which is amazing for a third grade classroom. And it just took that conversation for her to realize I can do this. I can make this goal. It's achievable. Um, and my job is to check in with her later this week to sort of say, how you doing? Did you, what else do you need for supports? Um, might there be something else you want to work on? Mm -hmm. So the shift that I've done is rather than in-person meetings with teachers, they're virtual meetings the goals have shifted more towards um, teacher-centered goals rather than classroom-centered goals, mm -hmm. um, but they still have the potential for improving student outcomes. Mm -hmm. So that's the, the biggest shift that I've done. Um, and I also, you know, I actually enrolled in an online virtual coaching class for the next five weeks oh, cool. that um, lets me make sure that I'm on the right track with working with the teachers. Yeah, yeah. Um, is that through the same organization that you were mentioning? A few it, minutes is. Ago? Mm -hmm. it is. It um, is. <clears throat> so they're pushing out some stuff that hopefully will be beneficial towards moving things forward in the future. Mm -hmm. um, and realizing that in order for growth to happen, um, I don't have to be in classrooms. Right. I don't have to be that observer. We can do this growth and check in on their sense of what's going on in the classroom, their reality, um, in a variety of different ways. I mean, ultimately, that helps them kind of develop that skill that they're they're working towards developing anyway, which is being able to evaluate 
like where their strengths are, where they want to focus growing. And then did they, did they grow in the way they were hoping to, or how to, you know, that self-evaluation. Yeah. In a, in a way that maybe happens and happens when you meet with them in person and do observations and things. But in the absence of that, they, they are having to jump into that skill set maybe earlier in that process than they would otherwise. Well, and it's, it's a, you know, the nice thing about the instructional coaching is it's not evaluative. And I'm also not going in and doing sort of what I consider the dog and pony show. <laughs> um, so they can take the ideas, cultivate them themselves, mm -hmm. try something, and it's not so... It's not so easy to say, well, that didn't work, so I'm going to throw out that method because I'm not presenting it. Right. And they're not trying to mimic what I'm doing. They're making it their own. So they're more apt to say, well, that part didn't work. What can I tweak to make it better? Mm -hmm. And how can I make it my own? And you know, so often we go to workshops, we go to, we attend classes where you're presented something mm -hmm. and then you take it and you try and remember what you're presented and it doesn't work. And so you sort of say, well, the hell with that. Mm -hmm. <laughs> that wasn't um, a good idea anyway. Yeah. Right, right. <laughs> um, and I think, you know, part of it may be because I've you know, my career was in special ed, mm -hmm. nothing worked. Mm -hmm. You know, there's no pure program that works one size fits all. So you were, you know, my whole belief system has been, I'm going to take what, what makes sense. And I'm going to, knowing I'm going to have to alter it, knowing I'm going to have to, um, make individual changes based on how this student responds or how this group of small group of kids responds. So there's a whole lot more flexibility in my mind of what special ed is all about. Um, I don't care if you're Orton Gillingham trained. Mm -hmm. It's not gonna work based on that script. Right. You have to change it. Right. And you have to understand that you're changing it based on student responses and you're working towards improved student outcome. Mm -hmm. um, so the instructional coaching piece makes a whole lot of sense in my mind of working towards getting teachers to, you know, one of the reasons I got out of regular elementary ed was I couldn't follow a manual that just, <laughs> that wasn't going to work. Shocking, shocking to me, Anne, knowing you. <laughs> surprise, surprise. Um, <clears throat> the nonconformist in me was going to go, yeah, no, that's not going to work. Um, and so I see, I've seen over the course of years, too many teachers coming out of teacher college mm. sort of feeling like, but I'm supposed to follow this, mm -hmm. you know, that's the script. What else am I supposed to do? And in some ways we don't train them how to think 
creatively. We don't teach them how to be problem solvers, mm -hmm. but in special ed, you have to be a problem solver. As an SLP, you have to be a problem solver because each person is unique. Right. And so what I like about what, what instructional coaching is all about is you're, you're giving freedom to teachers to become problem solvers in the interest of increasing, improving student outcomes. And the only difference that's happening right now for me is the outcomes actually might be more personal, mm -hmm. um, depending on where the adult is at in this newly created trauma society that we're now experiencing. Mm -hmm. um, it may be learning, teaching, supporting them in how to reduce their anxiety. What are some options? Mm -hmm. It may be um, getting them comfortable with trying like our new, we have a new math program. And so that's a lot of what I've been supporting is, and so there's an online element that's a couple of the teachers hadn't even touched. Mm -hmm. It's like, well, now's an opportunity to try touching it. Yeah. Um, how much are you willing to go into that? Um, realizing that technology isn't so scary. If I can do it, somebody <laughs> younger than me can do it. Um, <laughs> And it's, it's just having conversations where, uh, and part of it, it's, it's almost being a mini therapist. Mm -hmm. I don't know. I mean, I think I, I can relate to what you're saying that, you know, be, listening to what people's concerns are and being able to hear the things that they're identifying as challenges and barriers through all of the things that they're saying. And sometimes it takes people, ha you know, they need an opportunity to be able to like kind of dump all of that in one place. And you might be in the role of like picking out the pieces to highlight for them and kind of presenting them back and saying, is this what you're talking about? Are these the meaningful pieces that you are, that sort of anchor all these different thoughts and you know, <clears throat> what might feel messy, like the messier thoughts are these the pieces that kind of relate and tie things together? I, I can, I can, I can see that as yep. feeling. I yeah. The other piece I think is um, working with people to go slow. Yeah. Now's not the time to think about um, think about all of the proficiency indicators that you haven't gotten to. Mm -hmm. Now's the time to actually think about transferable skills. Right. How can we support families to um, develop routines, to you know, improve their executive functioning around organization, structure, um, sequencing? It's, it's a shift, and I think it's a good shift personally, away from focusing on the academic learning mm -hmm. and focusing more on the holistic whole person learning yeah. because in reality 
that's what allows people to be successful as adults. Right, right. It's, you can survive, and I, you're, I can't believe I'm saying this, but you can survive with functional literacy, functional math skills. Mm-hmm. You don't have to be stellar. Right. Um, it's really hard to function without social skills, yeah. without organizational skills, mm-hmm. without time management skills. Mm-hmm. And those are tr- what we're now calling in the state of Vermont transferable skills. And if we, I sort of look at it and say, this is an awesome opportunity to really support that type of learning. Um, yeah. Who cares about historical dates? You can look them up. Sorry, Gary Quackenbush, but you can look them up. Uh, (laughs) um, Who cares about, you know, geometry and formulas? Um, You can look them up. Well, and the reality is if you don't have the executive function skills, the ability to organize what you want, what you're thinking about, how to look it up, where to look it up, you aren't going to get to the looking it up part and you aren't going to absorb the information that you are presented with if someone else looks it up for you, if you don't have a way to organize these things, you know, and I think the piece I've been hearing from a couple of other educator friends is the way that all of this connects to everyday life is what's important because if if it doesn't seem important when you're you know learning sort of more academic information it just goes in and goes out you know and there's i've taken a lot of classes in my educational career and you know do i remember majority of them yeah i i was an excellent i i'm i'm like a prime example of someone who will study exactly what i'm given do wonderfully on the test and then just release that information because Yeah, I have held on to like random bits of things from classes that were outside of like what I ended up doing in my profession. But, you know, on some level, I feel like it enriches my understanding of of the world. But there are a lot of ways to do that that don't have to be academics. And thinking about what you were saying before we started recording about how important trauma informed perspectives are right now and, and like what families can handle in terms of the education that's being offered to their kids online and the level of involvement that some schools are expecting parents can provide is, you know, is so variable. I was talking with someone yesterday who lives in Colorado and um, her her son's special educator had set up a, a, a daily schedule for him. And she was like, at this time, he's going to take, he's going to have his lunch and then you need to make sure he's back online. And the person I was talking to was like, Hey, you know, we're working, you know, she's, there's, there's not really a way to make sure he leaves and eats and comes back. <laughs> and right. then this expectation of like, you know, he's 10. What do you think he's going to do when that like Zoom call ends? It's probably not going to be like, go make himself lunch, check the time and come back and be ready for class in an hour. 
Yeah, no, I think I think a lot of um, my frustration is talking with those educators who think that um, they're obligated, they're going to be held accountable for making sure that the home day structure mimics what was in school. Yeah. And that's no longer realistic. There was a there's a really good webinar um, called The New Normal. Mm. And it's got Tom Gusky, Leon Young, um, I want to say O'Connor, uh, Kevin or Keith O'Connor, who's up in, in Canada, and another guy, and I'm blanking on his name, but it's... Um, it was actually pushed out by the AOE. I got it through the new mm -hmm. math guy. Mm -hmm. And they talk about how you can't even pretend to expect that what's happening now can mimic what happened prior to March 17th. Um, that's not realistic. There are too many families working at home. I know a family where the parents still are going to work. Mm -hmm. So the sixth grader and the ninth grader are home. Mm -hmm. It's like, that's their reality. That's what they've got to work with. Um, and that it's not going to be the same, nor should it. Right. Um, right. You know, the, the piece that... I keep saying to educators as we do larger Zoom meetings within our district is um, we have to get, we have to let go of, but our children won't be the same, won't be at the same places as kids in other districts. This is a global piece. Yeah. No school globally is gonna get their kids to be at that same level. Okay. And the nice thing that was talked about in this webinar was let that go. Yeah. Um, give yourself permission to let it go and understand that it's gonna take two to three years to get back to where we left mid-March. And that's okay. It's yeah. a global situation. So when your kid goes off to college, September, a year from now, two years from now, they're going to be in the same place as every other kid coming into college. Right. Um, you know, I, I was walking with a neighbor whose kid is at school at East Montpelier, and she's like, well, I'm going to hire this person to tutor my kid in math. And I kind of wanted to say, why? Mm -hmm. it, it, your kid's going to U32 next year, but your kid's going to be in the same place as everybody else yeah. more, you know, everybody else. It doesn't matter anymore. Yeah. What matters, can your kid have empathy? Can mm -hmm. your kid understand um, and take the perspective of others? How much does your kid now understand contributing to the family dynamics? Mm -hmm. the, all of those social skills that are so much more important than can your kid add, subtract, multiply, divide fractions? Okay. I'm sorry, who gives a rat's ass? <laughs> you know, can your yeah. kid cook? Yeah. 
You know, can your kid do laundry now or help with the chores or understand the importance of contributing to family pieces? Those, mm -hmm. those are way more important than math. Yeah. And I think I, I just, I, there's a piece of me that is just so fascinated by like our, our, our culture like that that we've created these educational systems to promote a certain set of skills almost in a lot of cases to the exclusion of the ones you're describing and now there's a situation that's really requiring that to flip-flop and mm -hmm. what i find really like what the thing that i'm sort of paying attention to is like who can't do that? Who's right. like, who's, who relies on that, like hyper-structured, hyper-directed, you know, like here's the script for your life and doesn't know what to do without that. And I, and I feel for those people the most, I think, because this, yeah. this is like, you know, when you don't have a script to follow, that's when people's anxiety is so high and they, they get in that like place of inertia and they just can't make any movement in any direction. And it's, it's, um, those, those, I, that's something that I've been paying attention to just, you know, what's, what's helping those people find something to help move them forward or, you know, like what's helping to create a little bit of structure. And I think what you were saying earlier about, helping families create routines, addressing, you know, like executive function skills. Those are the things. And I, I, outside of education, like those are the things that I've sort of been, when I talk with other people in this podcast or just friends, I'm sort of listening for like, do they have those things? Is that, is that hard for them? And in everyday life, it's sometimes hard to remember that not everyone knows what those things are. You know, executive function, like someone who doesn't work in education or isn't a speech therapist or a special educator, might not know what that means. And it might be a totally foreign idea to them to think about their, like their day in that way of time management and structure and sequence. Um, well, and it's, you know, it's, it's finding the balance. Mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. Well, and, and also there's a piece of the flexibility. Who can yeah. be flexible? Yeah. Um, those that are in crisis, you realize that they are struggling with change. Um, and even little things like watching, a couple of the teachers have been talking about um, every time they Zoom or you know connect with a kid, the kid's eating. And it's like, that's a significant trigger in terms of that kid is struggling. Mm -hmm. um, and so rather than focusing necessarily on the academics is trying to slowly get the kid to understand and the family understand that just because you're home doesn't mean you eat all day long. Right. Um, right. You know, there are different routines. I know. I know it, it's, I'm still struggling with the exercise routine because mm -hmm. I don't have a place to 
yes, the dance studio has pushed out a bunch of the videos, but yeah. I, I don't have a place to watch them and dance at the same time. Um, I'm very fortunate that we've got the, the property behind us. Um, as long as I stay off the deer trails, I'm fine. <laughs> um, but it's like making sure, but that's also weather dependent. Yeah. So then I've got to figure out what do I do when the lousy weather comes around, you know. But you you can start to identify families that don't know how to go about those problem-solving pieces. Um, don't know that it's okay to reach out to sort yeah. of say, what are you doing? Um, right. Yeah. That's something that I've seen really highlighted even more so. I mean, living in a rural state is isolating normally. And yeah. I think what has stood out for me is in on top of that, how small our networks of support are and how few people each of us has that they can really rely on. And then in this sort of circumstance, where we're not supposed to be interacting face to face, what does that mean for families who need childcare or who need a break from their kids? Or, you know, how, how do you find, like, how do you still create some kind of safety net for like your, yourself, your mental health, your being able to take a break and go for a walk in the woods? Um, the other thing I was thinking about is there's a lot of people I've talked with recently who've been saying their kids are just eating so much more yeah. Since they've been home. And um, I hadn't really thought about that as like a, a com I mean, obviously eating is often a comfort thing, but I hadn't thought about it since everyone was doing it. It seemed like, oh, maybe we just eat more at home because we're, we're comfortable at home. And it's like, just hanging out, going to have a snack. But it isn't, that that is something to think about for sure. Well, so many people eat because they're bored. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and I'll tell you, you turn on the TV and all you see is COVID news, which is mm -hmm. like, oh, God, just get me out of here. Um, <laughs> or you, you know, you get lovely Trump saying, yeah, go ahead and try that medication. Never right. mind that it hasn't had a good trial run. Mm -hmm. <laughs> it's like, <laughs> um, <laughs> but, um, you know, it's, it's, it does take some reaching out. It's yeah. like, thank God when it was the weekend before and I knew we were gonna be shut down. And I looked at Jean and I said, you know, we've got your office to renovate. <laughs> <laughs> so he's on a great project. <laughs> Cause if he didn't have something to do, he'd be apeshit. Mm -hmm. He'd absolutely be bonkers. Yeah. So for him to have this major project where we had the foresight to get the stuff from the lumber yard, order some stuff, make sure that we were being proactive so that he can work on this. And it's going to take a month, minimum. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but so many people weren't, didn't think about that. Yeah. Um, so many people said, oh, we'll be back to normal in two weeks. Yeah. And it's like, yeah, no, we're not. Um, <laughs> and the new norm, and it won't be normal. It'll be a new normal. Yeah. 
Um, So it's it's a fascinating. There was a piece. um, There are a couple of things that I posted. One was the. Oh, it was probably last week. I got it from my daughter-in-law around mm-hmm. from a psychiatrist. I think it was psychologist mm-hmm. around how to establish some routines like get up, get dressed as if you're going to work. Mm-hmm. Don't sit around in your sweatpants or pajamas, like things like that. Just establishing some purpose for getting up and being presentable every day. Um, and then there was the thing that actually Michelle Gardner Harper, Michelle Mm -hmm. Harper posted that I shared around. There is a silver lining to this. We're going to get a whole other group of, we're going to get something else out of our kids that we hadn't expected. Yeah. Um, Which I think is really, it's really important to hone in on those pieces instead of always looking at the negative Mm -hmm. to start, you know, to be thinking about, Oh, there's all of these other really positive things that are going to happen. Yeah. Um, There was also a really interesting um, interview, Trevor Noah with Bill Gates. Oh, I saw that going around, but I haven't watched it. Oh, it, it's fascinating in terms of some of the stuff that the um, Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation is funding, mm-hmm. um, which is around the research um, and funding companies that are really looking into, I think Bill Gates said he's funding like seven different companies looking for um, researching vaccines and he goes i don't care if only three become viable the fact that he's putting in i think he said a billion dollars towards these seven companies to actually get into some research that looks at um epidemic viruses which is what this is um So you look at some of those things are going on sort of globally and and people sort of doing a wake-up call like, oh, well, we've given lip service to this research. Now we actually can need, understand the importance of doing it and being proactive rather than reactive or just saying, eh, you know. Yeah. Do it, you could do like Texas. They're screening everybody coming across the border from Louisiana. Yeah. yeah. I, yeah. And, you know, that makes me think a little bit about just pro being proactive, being sort of forward thinking in general versus reactive and how, you know, one of the things I, I have a hard time with, you know, my brain doesn't, my my brain thinks about like where could we go with all these things all the time like that's just how I think and it it it, I have to remind myself that a lot of people think differently than that and it was wrong (laughs) I mean that's just based on how their life experiences and their you know examples of thinking there's nothing wrong about it um (laughs) <laughs> so when I heard you, when you were describing what Bill Gates was saying, 
I was thinking like, oh, I have heard that there was a piece that he did in 2015 about the like likelihood of global pandemics and thinking back on like the smaller scale virus-based, I mean, I don't know if they were considered pandemics, but um, crises that have happened in the last four or five years in different parts of the world. um, It makes a lot of sense that this is something he would have already been thinking about and thinking about where is this going to go? And it's only going to get bigger because the planet is so full of people and we're so interconnected that inevitably those interconnections are going to meet with these viruses and those two things together result in what we have now. And um, what you were saying about when school closed in the middle of March and how for a lot of people, they couldn't imagine that we wouldn't just start back up again in two weeks. Like that idea of, of, there's like some barrier that comes down and it's like, this is just too different from any reality that we've ever experienced. So it's not an option. That's just not going to happen. That's just mind boggling to me. Like, well, I I can totally relate. I I really understand too, like the, the amount of upheaval that that has caused, like, why would you want to anticipate something like that happening? But that's exactly where my mind went. Which but was, it, yeah. it, it makes me wonder, and I honestly don't know, mm-hmm. um, like when I was 60, I was already thinking about retirement plan. Yeah. Um, so, you know, where do I want to be a year from now, three years from now, five years from now? And I sort of feel like um, both Jean and I have always thought about those things. Right. Um, you know, it took me two tries to get into the Peace Corps because that was a goal. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, not to say that I always was thinking ahead, but, you know, a lot of it was I got back from the Peace Corps and it's like, so what do I want to be doing a year from now, three years from now, five years from now, those types of things. Um, and it makes me wonder if if people aren't wired more to think about planning, you know, foresight planning versus some people just are living in the here and now yeah. and are and are very content going, I got a great job. I got a great family. Yep. I don't need to think about the future. Yeah. Um, and how much that has to play into people's reactions around what's happening now. Yeah. Um, it would be a fascinating study. I'm not doing it. <laughs> no, I'm sure there are people studying that kind of thing. You know, but so there must be so much gray area too. Like I'm sure it's not just those two, um, you know, people who plan and people who don't, because there are plenty of times where like I, plenty of things I don't plan about. But if if there's an opportunity to take a trip somewhere, you you know that I'll be planning that a year in advance and in a way that is very different from how other people plan trips. So I. I would love, maybe I'll look into that. That's a great idea, Anne. <laughs> I, you know, it's, I, I would just be fascinated to mm-hmm. see, you know, because I'm a planner. It's yeah. like, I planned last fall 
to actually leave on the 17th of April to go visit a childhood friend in Oregon. Oh, wow. <laughs> that ain't happening. Yeah. Um, you know, but already, you know, you think about those things. And my mind is, because I had to cancel that trip, my mind is already spinning towards, so when can I go? Could I make it work here? Could I make it work there? Rather than saying, well, that trip is off. I'm not thinking about it. So it would be a fascinating piece to, to mm-hmm. see where people are at. Um, it makes me think about, it was interesting. It was years ago, one teacher who used to work at East Montpelier um, basically said, he had reached all of his goals and I'm not even sure he was 40 and I'm thinking well that's kind of sad it's like don't you have other goals aren't there (laughs) other things that you want to do that you want to try and achieve that and and to me that's the planning piece um you know I to be honest, I didn't think being an instructional coach would be something I would do, mm-hmm. but I knew that I couldn't just retire cold turkey and not do something. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, the last five years was always looking at what could I do? What options are out there? What might keep me going? Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, you're always, it's it's not like, done deal the doors closed um something you said earlier i was thinking about i think of what you were just describing more as like a um like an interest in learning something an interest in doing something a little different or new than what you had done and i think when you were talking about like the priorities of academics versus these other skills and these transferable skills. I sort of put those things in the same category as like new learning, ongoing learning in a more like life-based kind of way, you know, something that isn't contained in a particular institution of like higher ed or institution of elementary school or institution, maybe within the institution of like social culture, maybe it fits there. Um, but that's such a ambiguous, you know, amorphous institution. I think it's a little different. Um, and I, I, I think really, in my mind, the idea of planning is something really different than that. Like thinking about what you want to be learning, thinking about what's going to be enriching and keep you engaged in life versus like, now I'm going to map it out. And here's my like 12 month plan to get me to those things. Cause Sometimes I don't make it to that point. I'm like, I know I want to be doing something interesting in the next year. And I just keep looking for those opportunities. And eventually something pops up that fits what I'm thinking and feeling. Yeah. And I think about like some of those skills that you were talking about earlier and how, how like those could be approached within you know, within families, within, like for myself, even just being home, like if I approach those as a, as a learning opportunity, like, could I learn to set a daily schedule for myself? Could I evaluate the benefit of that? Maybe. (laughs) 
<laughs> do you want to? Nah. I don't know. Yeah, exactly. Like, is that the learning experience that I really want for myself? Does it enrich something about my interaction with my day? It might. I don't know. Maybe time wouldn't feel so like strange. <laughs> time is strange. Time is it's all made up in my opinion. Oh but, yeah. <laughs> but it just I was just circling back to that as you were talking about that and thinking like, oh, maybe those are the same experiences for some people. Like trying trying to incorporate like you know paying attention to what you do during your day as a as the same kind of experience as thinking about what you could do during the next months. The, you know the months ahead and I just huh? got very philosophical there for a second <laughs> <laughs> it's allowed it's sometimes allowed. I do that <laughs> well you know what else are we gonna do <laughs> <laughs> it's like it is you know there this is the time to actually be able to enjoy those conversations enjoy those pieces um so yeah it's like mm -hmm. what the heck <laughs> I was thinking about what you said um, uh, at the very beginning. I can't remember if we were recording yet or not, but how important being aware of trauma is going to be is just in general. And I've been asking people like how they envision, you know, eventually there's going to be some sort of peak with with all of this, you know, with our tolerance for being at home all the time with the you know the virus itself and how rampant it is and and as like that those peaks happen and we start to enter like another phase of this experience um i'm really curious about what happens with our social connections because there is so much isolation and like i was saying in a rural place that's already a challenge and i'm curious about how that is how that how people start to address that how they start to create connections that eventually can become in-person connections or how they maintain relationships or you know and I'm sure there's an element of trauma knowledge involved in that in terms of education um, like one teacher I was talking to yesterday said she teaches first and second grade and she won't have those second graders next year because they'll right. go to third grade and she was like describing the sort of grief around that and my mind went to like will there be some kind of ceremony that schools do to like complete those the experience that you did have with that teacher before just shuffling you off to the next teacher you know so that um i know i know at least one of the schools out of the two that i'm I've been working in are thinking about it. I think both are actually. Mm. Um, you know, we've thought about it, we've talked about it, especially for the sixth graders going to U32. Um, there's been discussion at the high school level about what to do about the seniors graduating. Yeah. Um, we've got a staff member, Sheila's going off to a new job mm. for next year. Um, so, I've already reached out to sort of say, I will take you out to dinner as part of that piece. Those two um, 
definitely keep that those social connections going. Yeah. I wonder how much of what happens is connected to um, people's skill set. Yeah. Now or going into this for sure. And I I say that because um, Jean and I are part of it's five couples. We're a dinner group, mm-hmm. and we do dinner. We do elaborate dinners um, about every other month, rotating who hosts it. And when this was coming down the pike, it was our turn to host in April. And I'm like, I'm canceling. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, interestingly enough, there was an email from one of the people going, all right, in this social isolation piece, share what you've been cooking at home. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's, you know, we have those skills already going into this to say, we're going to reach out. It's just going to be in a different way. We're going to keep our theme going around. What do we cook so we can share ideas um, and that kind of stuff. I also look at my own family and our email thread is like (laughs) probably 25 people at this point. Um, Just and it started out with just connecting with me, me connecting with my siblings, mm-hmm. and now it's broadened to connecting with all of the adult children who also have their own young kids. So, mm-hmm. just keeping each other apprised of how you're doing, what are you doing to keep busy, do you have projects going? So, you know. I don't wonder if some of that social connectedness piece is because those skills were there already. Yeah. And I say that because I look at some of the families that I hear teachers struggling to connect with um, are families who struggle with social skills. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. I often wonder too, like for, for individuals who struggle with social skills, it doesn't necessarily mean that they value the social connection any less. And I think sometimes there's, you know, just generally from having worked with people with social difficulty with social, with social skills, there is an impression from others that that's the case, that this isn't something you value or it's not a priority for you, or it's not something you see. And I, I, that I do wonder about how those people who maybe struggle to connect will be brought into a situation where there's opportunity, even if it's not, even if they don't actively engage or seek it out, you know, often it's easier to connect to, to take advantage of those opportunities if they are something you can more passively engage with and, um, or more as an observer or more as, you know, passively sometimes has a negative connotation, but something where you don't have to be the, the act, the actor making it happen. Well, I wonder, I wonder, like I'm thinking of a couple of families in particular, and then I need to leave to get to this other meeting. Um, but there are a couple of families who we know the parents have experienced trauma so their skill set in terms of socializing is very trauma-based, trauma-informed. Mm-hmm. And I'm wondering if through this um, and the 
hopefully skilled connecting by school staff will allow these people to realize or almost experience a different way of socializing that is much more positive so has the potential to start that rewiring of the brain um mm -hmm. because there's not going to be the ability to have that physical trauma um yeah often not the verbal trauma um you know i was talking to one of the teachers who when she connects with the student um the interaction at home is horrible and i said so one of the things you can do is be very clear you talk that way and i'm ending this conversation so you do some learning around how it's okay to interact with people even through a video chat um and i think I know it would be fascinating, which I'm not doing this study, to do a study as to does what impact might this will this have on these kids and on these families? Yeah, yeah. Um, so yeah, on that on that you know research rich and mildly uh, distressing note. Um, I know we both have other meetings to get to, so I'm going to let you go. But thank you so much, Anne. And maybe we can continue uh, our conversation another time. Sure. I'd love to. <laughs> I love hearing your thoughts. So, Oh, it's good. It's good to talk to you, Leah. Yes, likewise. All right. All right. Take care. You too. Thank you.